Um, God has given us many opportunities to share his love, um, to love Sierra Leone specifically with his heart, and he's given us a new opportunity. Um, Madison and I have been invited um, to go to Sierra Leone with World Hope International um, to be a part of what you just saw, um, February 19th through the 26th. So while we're in Sierra Leone, we're going to have the opportunity to serve in a couple different ways. So as you saw in the video, we'll be joining others and preparing for the same beach day celebration. We'll be cleaning up the beach, setting up, and then cleaning up after the event, um, helping with the kids and families on the beach and enjoy, helping to, them to enjoy themselves and celebrate all that God has done and is doing. Um, another way we'll be helping is joining with the therapists on their visits to some of the children in their program. And this will include a visit with our sponsor child, Alfred. And I'm super, super, super excited to meet him. Um, we'll be spending a couple days encouraging and pouring into the staff of the therapists uh, with Enable the Children as well. So the week is going to be packed with lots of beautiful ways to serve, to experience firsthand and participate in what God is doing in Sierra Leone with World Hope International and Enable the Children. And you, our Love Chapel Hill family, will be with us in heart. Um, so we're eager to go, um, eager and nervous and excited and all of that to go and represent you and represent the love that God has given us and share and serve in that capacity. So we ask you to um, pray with us. Um, if you are um, interested in receiving updates, you can email me at april at lovechapelhill.com and I'll be sending you updates about um, what God is doing. Um, if you are able to financially support us, um, those links will also be sing sending out an email to include them if you're able to support us that way. But just uh, want to say thank you. Thank you, April and Madison. April, you lead our kids so well. We're so grateful to have you as the shepherd for Quest Kids and pastoring our kids and leading our kids. Um, yeah, we're just really grateful for that. So for 10 years, April has been in that role. And uh, my own kids are a part of that. And there's no one else I would rather have pastoring them than April. So let's give it up for April again. And Madison has been a leader in this church for 10 years. So when this church was planted 10 years ago, Madison was eight years old. And I remember the last gathering that we had before our very first Sunday here in the varsity. And uh, we were praying together and we, and we had this gathering and I just felt impressed to ask Madison to pray for us as a group. And I had this sense in that moment uh, that Madison was going to be a leader in this church from day one. And that sense of what Jesus tells us, that children are not a distraction from the kingdom, they are a description of the kingdom. And they show us what the heart of God looks like and what the kingdom of God looks like. And Madison, we're so proud of you and the leader that you are in your life, among your friends, and in this church. So thank you for that. Let's give it up for Madison, too. Right. Uh, this past week, I had the opportunity to be with uh, a group of college students. Where are the college students at today? 
Yes, we love you, all right? We love you guys so much. Thank you for being so much of the heartbeat of who we are as a congregation. Uh, but I had the chance to be with a, a group of college students up in Indiana uh, at a school called Indiana Wesleyan University, and it's a Christian college where they have chapels uh, during the week. And so I got to preach at, I preached in six different chapels this week, okay? And uh, what I did not know until the end, and thank you, Lord, that I did not know this until the end, but apparently the student body has this secret meme page where... <laughs> They can like anonymously airdrop a meme that they make about the chapel speaker, all right, and then share that with everyone, okay? Basically, my, my, like, my goal every day is to make it through the day without accidentally becoming a meme, okay? <laughs> That's the stage of life that I am in. And uh, so imagine my surprise when I found out they made a meme about me, and it, uh, let's just say it involved Mr. Rogers, <laughs> and I was honored, all right? That also says something about my stage of life. I'm like, I'll take that one, all right? <laughs> Great. Yeah, this is true. I should have changed into it as we began, all right? All right. Awesome. <laughs> Next week, coming at you. Oh, man. All right. Uh, so we are continuing series today. We started this last week, and at this time of the year, every year, uh, we move into the Gospels. And so we intentionally follow the same rhythm as a way of rooting ourselves in the larger story of Scripture. Uh, so in the fall, we spend time through the Old Testament, and we're moving in, we move into that time of Advent where we're anticipating the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. We celebrate that arrival at Epiphany. We celebrate the revelation of that and the manifestation of the reality of who Jesus is. And following that, we move into the Gospels. And so we'll be in the Gospels uh, from now until we get through Easter, okay? Because we're walking with Jesus through his life from, from the manger, through his life and ministry, then at, at Lent as he makes that turn towards the cross and we take that journey with him towards the cross. We, our hearts break on Good Friday as our friend that we have been walking with, who's been teaching us, who's been pouring into us. We witness his crucifixion on Good Friday. Our hearts sit in silence on Holy Saturday. God himself is dead. And we feel the weight of that. And then Easter Sunday morning, we're met with that unthinkable joy, the twist that none of us could have seen coming that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. That's where we are in our journey. So we're beginning this journey uh, through the Gospels together. And in this series, we're looking at Jesus people, okay? Jesus people. We're looking at people through the Gospels who were early adapters, uh, early adopters to the ministry of Jesus, those who recognized who Jesus was and they were drawn to him. They recognized something about him and they were drawn to it. The those who were on board first. And so we looked at John the Baptist last week, and today we're looking at Jesus' own mother, Mary. So we're in John chapter 2, and we're going to be uh, reading verses 1 through 12. Let's read this together. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Jesus is the kind of person that you want at your wedding. 
Jesus is the kind of person you invite to your wedding. All right, I think this says so much about him. So Jesus was there invited to this wedding, a part of this celebration. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. First of all, you don't talk to your mother that way. (laughs) Second of all, I don't talk to Jesus that way. So my bad on that. Okay, sorry, Jesus. I shouldn't have scolded you like that. Okay. Uh, In some translations, it actually says dear woman. Okay. So it's more of this this term of endearment and this, this sense of Uh, intimacy there, okay? And so, dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. This is a really interesting statement. We see uh, Jesus speak frequently throughout the gospel of John about his time or about the hour. And so there's this sense in which Jesus says over and over again, the time is coming or the hour is coming. And then there's this moment in John's gospel when it crosses over and it happens within the same sentence. There's this statement that Jesus makes when he says the time is coming, which is what he's been saying all throughout the gospels. He says the time is coming. And then he finishes it by saying and has indeed now come. And there's this sense that Jesus knows exactly what he's there to do. He has this sense of purpose and direction in the mission. The time, so in this moment, we, we get where Jesus is saying, my time hasn't come yet. Jesus isn't ready to begin his ministry yet. He's not planning to begin his ministry yet at this moment. But his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. All right. I love it. Let's give it up for the moms here today. Awesome. Come on. More than that for the moms. There we we go. (laughs) Do whatever they tell you and whatever Jesus tells you. Okay. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the wine that had the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Jesus, teach us through your word, through your story, through this revelation of who you are. Help us to catch a glimpse of that and to respond. So in your name we pray, amen. Amen. So what we see here as we're looking at Mary is she shows us what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, 
to, to be one of these Jesus people that we're studying together. Our prayer as a congregation is that this is who we become. We become people who are marked by surrender, set apart for surrender. And we're going to unpack this story together and show how, how Mary embodies that. But let me say this as we begin. Surrender is not weakness. We often think of that term as weakness. Surrender is not weakness, but it's kingdom kind of strength. It's an upside down kind of strength. You've seen people like this before. Tomorrow we have a day set aside where our country is honoring a person like this. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And we're going to honor the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a preacher of the gospel who knew that the fulfillment of the gospel means seeing justice in our culture. Oftentimes, when we think about Dr. King, we think of the moments of him preaching uh, in front of the massive crowds or maybe gazing off into the distance with the dream on his mind. But this time every year, I always want to bring us back to these images. And to remind us that this is what strength looks like. It looks as if he's being overpowered by the authorities, but he is not. This is what strength looks like. This is what courage looks looks like. And so tomorrow, everybody's going to be posting their pictures and their quotes, and that is wonderful, and we should do that. But remember these pictures throughout the day tomorrow. Remember what courage actually costs. This is what it looks like to be a voice of gospel justice, of freedom for the oppressed. It is always costly surrender is not weakness it is an upside down kind of strength and it has the power to turn the whole system on its head may we be those kinds of people as we move into this story here uh, it's important for us to recognize that john um, states very clearly that this was the first of the miracles of Jesus. So here we have it at the, at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. This is the first sparked by Jesus's mother and what she has to say in that moment. And John is really intentional about making that statement. He goes on to also uh, point out the second miracle of Jesus. And then as John continues to tell us about the miracles of Jesus, he stops counting, but he's already set that count in our head and he wants us to be counting along and so as we walk through the gospel of John we end up seeing that there are actually seven miracles that John lays out John is an absolutely brilliant writer he's my favorite writer of all time with all due respect to Harper Lee and Wendell Berry uh, and even C.S. Lewis all right 
but John is the best, okay? And so John is this incredible writer, and this is a part of what he's doing. This is a, a part of uh, the creative fabric of this work of literature, this gospel that he is writing out the story of Jesus for us. And so seven miracles that we see, the water into wine, the healing of the official son, the healing by the pool, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water, the healing the blind man, and raising Lazarus from the dead. So the book of John is divided into two different sections. If you have been to the story, our Bible study, where we go through the Gospel of John, this is all some review, and one of you could hop up here and teach this, okay? Um, and everybody's welcome to that. Trolley stop, okay? The back room, we meet there every uh, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Would love to have you uh, there. We're getting close to the end of the Gospel of John, which is what we do during the first semester. So I'm a little long-winded, all right? We're getting close to finishing the Gospel of John in that Bible study. Come and join us. Um, so throughout uh, this Gospel, we see him laying out these seven miracles of Jesus. And he does this also with I am statements of Jesus. There are seven I am statements. And so John is trying to signify for us this fullness, okay? The fullness of the mission and the identity of Jesus. That's what that number seven represents. And so the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 12, are known as the book of signs. The second half of the book, chapters 13 through 21, is known as the book of passion. The second half of the book only covers about one week of Jesus' life. It's the turn towards the cross. But this first half covers about three years of Jesus' ministry. And so right here, this is the first of the miracles. This is the first revelation of the glory of who Jesus is. Anytime, this is Bible 101 for you, okay? Anytime you see a miracle in any passage of Scripture, anytime you see a miracle of Jesus that gets described here in the Gospels, ask yourself two questions. Ask yourself the identity question and the mission question, all right? The identity is, what does this miracle tell us about who Jesus is? And the mission question is, what does this tell us about why Jesus came? And that's what we're going to be studying together. So the setting of this miracle takes place at a wedding. Uh, today we have a special wedding in our church family. Our friends Eddie and Val are getting married. If you're here for the, yeah, come on. Awesome. Yeah. We love Eddie and Val so much and thrilled uh, that this passage happens to overlap with their wedding day. This is, this is absolutely beautiful. So this setting of, of, of it taking place at a wedding, this matters. There's depth to this, okay? Why would Jesus inaugurate his ministry with a miracle at a wedding? Why would he do this? Yes, because his mother told him so, but also it's another layer of meaning here. Anytime you see a setting, in scripture. Ask yourself why. What is that setting trying to tell us? Setting is like another character in the story. It doesn't have any dialogue, but it always has so much to say to us. So what is the setting trying to say? It reminds us of the beginning and the end of this grand story of scripture. The whole story of scripture begins with husband and wife in the garden together in union with God and with each other. It begins with a wedding. And the whole story of scripture ends with another wedding image as well. Revelation, it's called the wedding feast of the lamb, where Jesus, the groom, welcomes his people 
his bride to the wedding feast. It's absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. And that's why Jesus begins his ministry and, and the miracles at a wedding. It's that signal of who he is. He is the groom and of what he's come to do to bring us into relationship with him. That's what's happening here. A lot of people get obsessed with what the end of the world is going to look like. And a lot of times those descriptions of the end of the world have this kind of apocalyptic, like wasteland kind of feel to it, right? But scripture tells us that the end of the world is not going to look like a wasteland. The end of the world is gonna look like a wedding. The restoration of all things, reconciliation, brought back into that full relationship with God. We're praying for Eddie and Val today. We're going to pause right now and actually pray for them. But we're also praying for other marriages that are here in this congregation. And let me just say, if speaking about marriage uh, is painful for you, whether that's an experience um, that you're longing for or it's an experience that you don't want, and oftentimes you feel like in the church it gets elevated as this higher level of experience with Jesus. That's not true, by the way. Okay? There is no step up from the center of God's will for, for your life. Okay? Or maybe you're on the other side of a really painful experience with marriage. If that's the case, then I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do his work of comfort and navigating for you through this. Okay? None of this is intended to be difficult. None of this is intended to be sharp or painful, okay? All right, let's trust the Holy Spirit in that. With that said, let's pray for Eddie and Val, and let's pray for other marriages here in the congregation. Jesus, it is so beautiful, and we've said this at so many weddings here within this church family. It's so beautiful that you choose to perform your first miracle at a wedding. And what's the purpose of it? So that the joy of a wedding celebration can continue on. We pray for that for Eddie and Val today. That what we're celebrating today is not just a wedding, but it is a marriage that is full of joy and your abundant provision and hope for them. We pray that today would be a day of joy that they will never forget. And we pray for that road ahead for them as well, that you would guide them and lead them, that you would care for them, that you would teach them what it looks like to love each other with your heart. And Lord, we pray for other marriages that are here in this congregation, those that are thriving, those that are stagnant, those that are feel like, feel, feeling like they're coming apart. We pray for miracles. We pray for miracles. We believe in that. We trust in that. And we ask you to do what only you can do. Teach us to love each other. And help us to love each other as we would love you. With sacrifice, with humility, with authenticity. Pray that you would bring healing where there is hurt. We trust you in that. Thank you for this rich, deep story. 
and we pray for wine to flow in those marriages. It's your name we pray. Amen. 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 Go, Eddie and Val. All right. Yes. Moving through this. So the miracle that takes, the setting is at the wedding. The miracle is water into wine. All right, water into wine. Again, there's so much meaning here as well. Both water and wine symbolize rich, deep experience with the Holy Spirit. We see that symbolism run all the way through Scripture. Wine, especially in the Old Testament, symbolizes abundance, joy, blessing, provision of God. And so all of that is at play here in this miracle of him creating wine out of that water. All of that is there, but there's also so much more going on. There's more layers and more depth to this. It's fitting that the first sign of Jesus's mission and Jesus's identity is revealed by wine. The first sign of his glory, of his mission, of his identity is revealed by wine because the last is going to be revealed by wine as well. And Jesus is at the table. We're going to celebrate that meal together here in just a few minutes. Jesus is at the table with his disciples and he extends to them the cup of the new covenant. And he says, this bread is my body broken to make you whole. This cup is the blood of the new covenant. My blood poured out for your redemption and for the salvation of the world, for the forgiveness of sins, for reconciliation with God. So right here at the beginning, this miracle is pointing us to the mission and the identity of Jesus, who he is and why he came. And in John's gospel, at the end of this book, at the moment of Jesus's crucifixion, John gives us this description that one of the soldiers there overseeing the crucifixion of Jesus pierces his side with a spear. And what flows out? Water and blood. Water and blood together. And we see that mingled in together in this very first miracle of Jesus. In this moment that seems so simple, like Jesus is doing this just so a party can keep going on. There's that part of it too. Don't overlook the simplicity of it because there's so much beauty in that simplicity. But there's depth to it as well. And it gives us a glimpse of what is coming and of why Jesus has come. The water and the wine mingled together, representing Jesus' poured out life for us. The first glimpse of his mission and identity revealed by wine, and the last will be as well. This is why he's come. The next piece is this, the equipment. Six stone jars, okay? So it's, it tells us that these were uh, the kind of jars that would have been used for ceremonial washing, okay? So this is a part of like the worship apparatus. And so in order to be considered clean, they would have gone through these different cleansing rituals and ceremonial washing. And, and so Jesus takes these stone jars that were used for that purpose, for, for being clean in their relationship with God and the way that they saw that. And the old way of using these jars represents being washed on the outside. And the new way that Jesus repurposes these stone jars symbolizes being purified to the depths of who we are, the very chambers of heart and soul. 
It's absolutely powerful the way Jesus repurposes this. The next is this, the witnesses, the servants. I love this part. I love this part. It's the wait staff. Come on, Vimla. All right. It's the kitchen crew. All right. These are the ones who see the glory of who Jesus is first. These are the ones who get the inside glimpse of what is going on. It says that nobody else knew where the wine came from, but the servants knew. The servants saw it happen. And they are the ones who, to everyone else at this feast, they are the forgotten ones and the invisible ones. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not invisible. You're the ones who are going to see the revelation first. You're the ones who are going to see the vision very first. He continues to do this. If you're the kind of person who's consistently ranked among the prestigious guests at all of the feasts, if you're often the guest of honor, then we celebrate you today, and that's good for you, all right? But open your eyes to the people around you because there are hidden guests of honor all around you. There are those who have wisdom that you haven't discovered yet. There are those who've experienced Jesus in deep ways that you haven't touched yet. Open your eyes. Ask the wait staff. Ask the kitchen crew to share their wisdom with you. These are the people that Jesus trusts first. And it says so much about his heart and so much about who he is. He continues to do that. We say this over and over again, but what we consider to be the margins, Jesus considers to be the center of the story. And so often we use that term of people who are on the margins. And when we use that terminology, it's a dead giveaway for the fact that we think we're in the center of the story. If we think someone else is in the margins, that means we think we're in the center. But Jesus says, no, the margins are the center of the story. I often start there first. Listen to the wait staff. Listen to the kitchen crew. They've got wisdom we haven't touched yet. The next is this. This is the final piece, the spark. The spark of it all, Mary's prayer. Mary's prayer. Now, this isn't Mary worship, all right? So don't get freaked out about that, okay? But we should honor Mary. Yeah, there you go. But we should honor Mary's role in this. And we have a lot to learn from her. And we shouldn't shy away from that because of how other people have mistreated her story. So lean into Mary's story and see what you can learn from it. And don't be afraid of that. Mary's prayer becomes the spark. And you're like, wait, I didn't see Mary pray anything in here. What do we say all the time? Every thought is a prayer, right? Every action is a prayer. All of it is prayer. And what Mary says here is a prayer. Do what he tells you to do. It's a prayer of surrender. It's not the first time that we've heard her pray something like this. The first time we ever meet her she is a frightened teenage virgin who was trying to figure out why this angel was standing in front of her, giving her this incredible news. And what is her response to that? She says very simply, let it be to me as you have said. 
let it be to me as you have said. And that becomes the prayer of Mary's life. And now she's passing that on to these servants. And she's saying, look, I pray, let it be to me as you have said. It's a good prayer. Go with it. All right. Do whatever he tells you to do. You can trust him. You can trust him. As we said last week, Jesus' people are marked by an all-consuming yes. By an all-consuming yes. Let your response to him be yes. I love the fact here that Mary doesn't bring the solution to Jesus. She brings the problem. She doesn't suggest a strategy. She models surrender. He doesn't tell, she doesn't tell Jesus what to do. She doesn't say, hey, Jesus, take some water, turn it into wine. That's something you can do. She just says, do something, all right? Do something. And so we see her not bringing a strategy, but instead she's modeling surrender. She's not telling him what to do. She's just asking him to do something. Jesus' people are marked by the shared strategy of surrender, And some of us in this room, we've got prayers that we have been carrying for a long time. There are things that we are longing to see Jesus accomplish in our lives, and we're bringing it to him over and over and over and over again. But maybe what we're bringing to him is not the problem. Maybe we just keep bringing a solution. And he says, actually, I'm wanting to answer that prayer in a different way. Do you trust me with the strategy that I have that is far more wise than yours? And you keep coming and saying, I need it to be this, and I need this, and I need this. And he's saying, don't bring me a solution. Bring me the problem, and let me give you the solution. This is what Mary is marked by. It's this sense of surrender. And all Jesus' people share this strategy of surrender. That's where we're closing out today. For some of you, We keep coming back to this too. This is gonna be frequent, okay? For some of you, you need to continue in this posture of hands open. Hands open. And for today, what that looks like for you is, Jesus, I keep bringing you solutions and I want you to do this, this, and this. But today, I'm opening my hands and I'm bringing you the problem. And I'm saying my hands are open for you to take out of them whatever you need to take. The thing that I've been gripping so tightly, the way I want this to go, that I've been gripping so tightly, and today my hands are open. And I say I'm open for you to take it away from me, and I'm open to receive your best for me, your wisdom for me, not the way I think it has to go but your strategy and what I'm bringing to you today is surrender, surrender. Jesus modeled for us what this looks like. He laid himself down fully, opened himself up, allowed himself to be broken open and poured out to bring about our redemption. We've already talked about this together. Jesus was with his disciples in that meal. And he took the bread that was on the table and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken to make you whole. And he took the wine that was on the table and he said, this cup 
is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins, for the redemption of the world, for reconciliation with God. He invites us to share in this meal as a sign of our own surrender to him and as a sign that we are receiving his best for us, his grace poured out. The strategy that none of us would have ever come up with. But God's wisdom poured out for us. If you want to embrace that today, then we invite you to come forward. There are going to be two stations, one here, one there. Pastor Ron will be on that side. Uh, Joel and I will be on this side. If you need uh, a gluten-free option, then that is available for you here. We invite you to come forward to tear off a piece of the bread to dip it in the cup, to taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the strategy of God. Come and embrace it.